Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call G-Team Mechanical at 765-376-3042 or visit gteamhvac.com. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Race number one. Green flag flies, a side-by-side battle, setting up for turn number two. They're going three and four wide at mid-pack up front. Everybody minding their P's and Q's. It's Will Power, your race leader, down the back straightaway ahead of Scott McLaughlin. Mark biggest mover was Ryan Hunter-Ray. I think he passed seven cars at the green flag. Yeah, I had my eye on that too, Nick. He was shot out of the proverbial cannon. Meanwhile, about a five-car-length advantage for Will Power to complete the lap one. It stays side-by-side into turn number two, Nick Yeoman. Newgarden's going to get to the inside. He'll wrestle away that second spot. Now he'll set his sights on the race leader, Will Power. Power with three lap cars ahead of him. They'll all move to the outside to try to get around Benjamin Peterson. But, Mark, you could throw a blanket over the top three. Power, Newgarden, and McLaughlin. Here goes Newgarden side by side with Power off the two. Joseph got a great run out of turn number two when he darted to the inside. And we've got a new leader on lap 120. It's Joseph Newgarden. He's got an advantage of about four or five car lengths. Power now, Mark, has to worry about his teammate, Scott McLaughlin, into turn one. Should be win number 28 in the career for Joseph Newgarden, and a lot of those now starting to come here at Iowa Speedway. Up turn number four, the advanced auto park checkered flag is in the air, and Joseph Newgarden wins the Hy-Vee home front 250. Scott McLaughlin finishes second, Pato Award is third, Marcus Erickson is fourth, and Will Power completes the top five. Race number two. Newgarden has to deal with McLaughlin, although Harvey is not making it easy. Jake Query as the front three really have to lift, and now Joseph Newgarden slips underneath both of them up in turn number two. Joseph Newgarden said, say hi, wave goodbye, went to the bottom of the racetrack and moved right alongside to the inside of Power McLaughlin. Now going to try to take a look on Jack Harvey. The advance auto park checkered flag waves, and it is a sweep for Joseph Newgarden. He goes to victory lane. He claims back-to-back races. This one, the high knee one step, 250. At Iowa Speedway, Will Power grabs the second spot. It's been amazing. You know, I, I love coming to Newton. It's just, uh, to me, it's a, it's a, it's one of the best racetracks in the world, if not the coolest short track in the world. And I've always enjoyed my time here. And, and uh, I feel a lot of pressure because I, I essentially feel like I have the best car when I show up here. My team is just phenomenal around this place. You know, and they make it, they make it look easy, but it's, it's far from that. We've got to execute every time. And like I said, just enjoy coming to Newton. Everybody's been lovely here. And uh, you know, thanks to, all, to our team, Chevy. Uh, Hitachi, everybody on Team Penske. It's, it's just not easy to come out here and, and be good two days in a row, and, and they did the job. Hey there, welcome. It's Trackside, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan in Indianapolis. Eddie Garrison is in our studios. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan with two IndyCar races to recap this weekend from the High V IndyCar Weekend at Iowa Speedway, Saturday and Sunday. Much to talk about tonight. Highlights courtesy of IndyCar Radio and NBC Sports. We have that to discuss. We have silly season, what we think we think, what we think we know, what we know we don't know. That's all in play. Schedule of conversation, some more rumors and reports that are out there, uh, most of which I think we've talked about on this show before. So we'll get to that 
your tweets at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. Are they still tweets? <laughs> Are they X's? I there's still a bird on my Twitter app. I never use it on on a actual computer. And I even updated. I did the update Twitter on one of my iPads today. And let's see what the icon is. Um change is difficult for all of us, Kurt. Yeah, and I know. It's it's uh it's one of those things. Uh, here, I don't know whether what I'll say though. What's that? Here's what I'll say. Although you know, I'm I don't know why you'd mess with this. Um, the guy doing it's a billionaire, and he's made some pretty good decisions business wise. So I think there's a chance he might be smarter than I am on such things. So maybe while I may not be for it, there might be a grander plan down the road for him. So we well, shall see. I don't know whether there's check marks or no check marks or Tweety Birds or 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 just where it links or if, you know, yep. my old third grade teacher is getting a copy of this. I, I just don't know. So we'll just have to roll with it no matter what happens. The beauty of it, I would tell you this, if we get back to the topic at hand, I remember in 2020 and we were doing this show as we have been for, I don't know, a third of my life now. Um that on doubleheader weekends, I would have real trouble remembering which race we're talking about. Are we talking about, about the same first thing. race? <laughs> you know, we had like what six doubleheaders that year, and and the first, you know, even the years when it wasn't 2020, and we were trying to decide what race was race one. And the beauty here is it's the same race essentially. We had yeah. one caution essentially effectively in each race. I think we had two maybe in the second, but the same guy led all the race. Uh, Joseph Dugarden just kicked their butts. And secondarily, I don't know if you have this stat, but I, I got this stat for a Scott McLaughlin story that I ran uh, that actually may have just been posted to IndyCar.com. He ran in second place 70% of the laps this weekend. Either it was to Joseph Newgarden or to Will Power, but 70% of the laps, Scott McLaughlin was in second place. So it's pretty easy to know of those 500 laps, which laps we're talking about, because effectively the same thing was happening at both races, even though these were different races and maybe there were different highlights and we can, you know, we'll have different topics within them. But at its foundation, Joseph Newgarden led more than you know, 200 of the 300 laps in each race, 229 in the first one, I think 221 in the second one, and Scott McLaughlin was second, and everything else is just, uh, you know, ice cream and and uh, hot fudge sundae. So. No, it was way more competitive than that. He only led 129 in the first one. Oh, it took him, okay. It took him all the way to lap <laughs> 121 before he took over. He was always lurking, and the role he is on, when, when you bring up A.J. Foyt and Al Unzer as the precedents, you know you're doing something. They are the last to win five oval races in a row. Well, and I, I almost can't – I can't put Joseph, you know, tied for most races, oval races in succession because he ought to have seven. I, I really want to give him seven straight oval races because the only one in the last seven that he didn't win was the one he crashed late in the Iowa race number two last year when he had that thing in the bag. That wasn't the his car fault. broke. Yeah, yeah, the car broke. So he really should have seven in a row at this point, which is uh, not only unprecedented in this sport, it is mind boggling in this era of competition. 
Well, you hear people now. This is a little bit different. Um, you hear people talk about the 1964 start of the season for AJ Foyt. He won seven in a row. Now, I think while that would still surpass this, that was seven in a row. You know, that sure. wasn't seven over a 14 race span with other types of races mixed in. That was seven straight races on the calendar. So I would still, even if this was a seven race streak on ovals for Newgarden, I would still say, you know, Foyt, <laughs> we're still looking up to Foyt, but whatever, this is amazing what he's doing right now. Well, and, and the other thing that stands out is we've got, we've been talking about how dominant Alex Pillow has been. So we have two juggernauts having rem on remarkable runs at the top of their game right now at the same time. And what Newgarden is doing is still not going to be good enough to win the championship. Yeah, if you're if you're comparing to the Foyt situation in 64, while you're right, that's seven in a row. I mean, literally seven, seven events in a row. The fact that he's been do done this over two seasons and, you know, the Indy 500 in there and, you know, there's been many opportunities here where you have a road course and a street course race and then you come back to an oval. You've had time essentially to get lost, to forget what you're good at, to add the variables. Maybe you had different lunches. You've had different, you know, there's just a lot of time has passed in this time. And and I think there's so many variables that come into this sport and Foyt didn't have, but look, uh, neither one of us watched that streak. I was born in 64, but we both know that um, the competition, and, and AJ knows, the competition is just so much deeper. Uh, more teams have a chance each week. Shoot, his own team, Newgarden has two guys that is ca that are capable of beating him on an oval, and they couldn't do it either, and... I know McLaughlin ran second a lot, as I mentioned. He also ran within three or four seconds a lot, but I never felt maybe one instance over two days did I think McLaughlin was capable and on the verge of passing Newgarden. I mean, it wasn't like he was in his in his lunchbox the whole time. He, he wasn't close, truthfully. He was, I mean, he's he's a couple car lengths back. That's close. And if you hit traffic wrong, so forth. But honestly, I never felt like Joseph was in, in a threat to lose the position, except for one instance in traffic. That's it. Yeah, mid-race, race one, there was a, a time when McLaughlin came close to passing him. They battled for a little bit. And then after that, Newgarden controlled the rest of the way. You know, it also stood out about being amazed by what Newgarden is doing is the intensity that he continues to show. And I'm starting to wonder, and I'll, I'll tell you why I'm saying this, is he becoming the next Michael Jordan in more than one way? Not just from dominance, but for is he looking for things to be aggrieved about? Is he looking for things to motivate him? Uh, or, and maybe on a different task, is one of the reasons he's so good because he it refuses to accept anything other than perfection and just dominance. When I interviewed him, well, first before I interviewed him, you know, you get a sense of how somebody's feeling when you walk up before the qualifying interview. So he's qualified, and if you didn't watch qualifying or weren't paying close attention. Doubleheader weekend, so qualifying is two laps. It's not an average. The first lap is race one. The second lap is race two. So he was third and seventh. Not great from a Penske standpoint, but 
certainly not bad for a weekend or not horrible for a weekend where everyone said it doesn't really matter where you qualify if you've got a decent race car you're going to move forward you can start first and if your race car is not good you can still finish 20th and we can give you examples of how that has happened in the last several years but how angry he looked before he got on the air just a death stare not at anyone in particular just in general and i gave him a moment and said are you ready to go on the air and just stone face no response and okay we're going on the air because this is what we do and you know i knew he'd be fine because he's a professional and answered the question and and i think accurately uh displayed his emotion which i like i'm not faulting him at all i don't need him to give a happy face if he's not happy and then after the race one you know he's heard uh, dropping an f-bomb complaining to his teammate about the traffic and that's referenced and a lot of people took that the wrong way or or were annoyed that that's what he's talking about after a dominant day so that's for other people to judge but what i'm coming back to is he to the point or is this why he's so good because he refuses to accept anything other than perfection and that is maybe what separates him from all the others with really good cars who are really good race car drivers I'll buy that. And the longer you talked in that in that explanation, the more I bought it. But I'll say this. He's got to be careful about how long that anger t- seems to persist. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he walks away often uh, from, you know, from moments when he doesn't really want to talk. And then you see Alex Pillow and he's just happy. And he and I'm not saying that one is necessarily better than the other, but. You know, you're in this era where you represent sponsors and and I think you can you can look you can look angry and be angry for a period of time. And then I think you have to be kind of be careful about that. You know, Jordan, Jordan didn't I mean he was representing his brand, but people, you know, his brand was excellence and you know, you knew what Jordan brought to the table from a shoe standpoint. But I, I just think Joseph needs to be a little careful about about being so angry. Or, or seemingly so in his in his uh, quote quote disappointments, um, you know he doesn't always act that way. I think he just need to be careful. I think Dave Burns even kind of pushed back on that a little bit in in the race one interview when he said, "Yeah, hey, you did win the race. Don't forget you won the race. I mean, you're yep. you're complaining about traffic." And I think Dave Burns was very quick and sharp in noticing that this didn't sound exactly like like what you ought to feel you need to feel you know and i like i like joseph and that's not really who joseph is he's a great competitor and and i mean that in the in the best sense um but i I just think you do need to be careful about that yeah and you wonder what team penske thinks where it's very corporate and buttoned up and you're representing a lot of people but devil's advocate now from my perspective I enjoy it when all the people I deal with are super happy to see me or at least pretend to be. And I know they're pretending sometimes. Uh, So it can be a little more tenuous in Joseph interviews, but devil's advocate. Everybody's hero. AJ Foyt was that way, right? AJ Foyt would snap at people and tell them to go away. And um, so why can't someone else act that way? Well, I would also say that different eras allow for different, different, uh, approaches uh bob knight's yeah. bob knight's uh standoffishness 
played pretty well through the 70s when they were kind of the one of the few games in town. That approach doesn't work as well on, you know, the Bob Huggins approach <laughs> on television doesn't work as well as the Bob Knights did years ago. I think you can have if, some of if that. If you're winning, if you're winning big, it does. And if you don't cross the line and do things like Bob Huggins has been doing recently. Yeah, that, that was a poor. I think you can be cantankerous. Same thing yeah. with Knight. If you're not, you know, getting involved with uh, uh, students and, and some of the other things. I think you can be a bully to the media if you're winning. I just think you have to be careful. Um, that's all. That, that was only yeah. my only point. That uh, no, I, I hear you. I, hear and, you. I and just want Dave, to throw out the other side of that, that, that some of our heroes like Foyt and Stewart and others got by doing that. And that's one of the reasons why uh, they were so like. So I just wanted to give the other perspective than just the two guys that are, you know, asking for interviews. Oh, I, I understand. I think and, fans enjoy that. And I get that, too. I think most of the time I'm like, you know, great. But Joseph complaining about traffic. I mean, this is a whole other subject, but complaining about traffic. Everybody certainly had some feelings about traffic and and how they were handled or or uh, respected from their partners, from their peers more. And those of us at home, we can't, you know, or watching it at the racetrack. We can't we don't really know as as drivers used to tell me, especially when it came to blocking. We know what blocking is. You may not see it with your eyes, but we know what blocking is, and we block every lap to some degree. We can do things that that you as a fan or as an observer can't see sometimes, just things where we put the car, et cetera. So lap traffic was a problem. It's always a problem at, at Iowa, and it's more of a problem when you have 28 cars. So, look, he was so much faster than everybody. You just kind of at that point, you have to go – well, that's just part of it. Well, and it becomes more of a problem when the car you're wanting to lap is sixth in the race. Yeah. So that means it's not an awful car. So this is not the same thing that we saw at Mid-Ohio. So I I haven't had a chance to watch the races back, but my first thought was, I think he's talking about Kirkwood. So I saw Kirkwood on Sunday morning, and I said, do you think Joseph was talking about you? And he said, I think he was. But he hasn't come to say anything to me, and McLaughlin hasn't said anything to me. So I think it was me, but I'm not worried about it. And I tend to agree with Kyle in this circumstance. He's racing for sixth and seventh. He's not yeah. racing for 24th. Uh, it's fair. Now, you, you, you can't be dirty. You can't be dangerous. And if he was and I didn't see it, then that's a different situation. Um, and as he told me, he said, I would have... I would have been more likely to let him by if second was right on his tail, but it wasn't. There was an opportunity for the leader to nav. nav. It probably made it a little bit more difficult, but it wasn't like they were going to be able to use him as a pick because he wasn't that far off the pace um, and impact the race. He said, I don't want to impact the race, but I'm still racing. And yes, it is late in the race, but with five laps to go, if there is a caution and they red flag it, and that's another story because we don't know whether they will, whether they won't, what's going to happen. There is no predicting that. Um, then I have, not only do I have a chance to pick up a position, if you're Kyle Kirkwood in sixth and they red flag it and who knows, we don't think they would open up the pits and let you take tires, but who knows? If but you we've, see, we've tires, seen that before. 
We've seen if it you before. get to take tires restarting sixth, you might win the race. Yeah. If if the leader says I'm not going to give up the track position. So um yeah, I I, I don't know that there's the argument there. And it may have been a combination of just the frustration because that's what short track racing is. You are in traffic all day and you're annoyed with getting past the guys that are two, three, eight laps down in that case. Uh one lap down. And running close to the pace of the leaders, that's a different story when you're at the front there. But uh, all aside, the other thing, 29 wins. Oh, it's unbelievable. Who, who else won 29 races? Well, let's let's give some perspective. Not only did that tie Mears, again, different era. R- when Rick Mears. I know, <laughs> I know. But more in, in Joseph's era is that he's only two back of Elio. You think about all the races Elio has won. And Dario, those are people in his era. You know, that's now that's more apples and apples. You know, you saw kind of the same number of of races in a season. You saw basically the same kind of competition that Dario and Elio have faced. Uh, He's right there on the on the on the heels of them. And honestly, his pace, I did this math and you know you have to extrapolate this a little bit but he's been winning three 3.7 races per year since he joined team penske if this keeps up he gets to 50 50 wins like before he's 40 i mean yeah this this is this is not just dixon pace this is almost uh aj pace so that's really amazing he's two wins away from dario elio and Paul Tracy. Yep. 10th. 10th all time. And he's a young guy. He's 32, 33, whatever he, he is. He's 32 and a half. Young guy. 32 and a half. He is still a young guy with a long time in front of him if he wants it. So awesome. What did he win? Five races last year and not win I, the championship. So. Yeah. And he's won four this year and probably isn't going to win the championship. So let's get to that next. Now, he did gain 46 points. But as, you know, if you would have told me that he's going to sweep the weekend, I think I would have said he might only be 65 down instead of 80. Because yeah. you have to think at some point something is going to go wrong, and it wasn't awesome for Alex Pillow in race one. He finished eighth. But to get a podium, one, that means you beat one of the Penske cars. That's winning in clash right there. To get a podium and come out with that, I think that probably... I think that got the championship done. He might make a run and get it close, but I don't see much of a way it gets away from him. I, I would agree with that. It's, um, you know, the last two races of the season at Portland and Son- and Sonoma and Laguna Seca are tracks where Alex has won and Dick and uh, Newgarden has not. And so there's two that he ought to be pretty good at. Uh, he was on the podium at, at, I think he was on the podium at Nashville. If not, my point was, I think Pelo was on the podium last year at Nashville. But Chip Ganassi Racing has won the two races at Nashville. So that team is going to be pretty good. So I don't really see a, a slippage on Pelo's part unless he just has a contact, which can happen, obviously. But, you know, it just takes as dominant as Joseph was. He only gained 37 points in a in just a, a killer weekend. And Polo was was my math wrong? I think I read somewhere it said forty six. I didn't actually do it. No, it was, he was one seven seven. Yeah, you're right. It was one seventeen to eighty. 
Yeah, 117 to 80. So he picked up 37 points. And, you know, we'll go back at the end of the season and find a moment that defined the season. And I'm not sure that finishing third at Iowa in race two is going to be the moment that that Alex Pillow remembers as the championship because he had such a big lead. But, you know, he dropped he, – he pretty much was 10 through 12. That's where his car was on this particular day. He was not a top five, seven car. And, by the way, he'd only had one top five finish on a short track in his three-year career. So he's not been gr- – four-year career, three and a half. Now, he's not been great on the short tracks. Uh, this has been his weakness. And when he's, you know, struggling to stay 10th, 11th, 12th, get to 8th, something like that, that that's not a point-collecting day like it is getting to third place. So so what Alex did in the last third of this race, race two of the weekend, is going to be really impressive and and probably important as, as we get to uh, championship day. I think that'll be a day where, you know, he staved off and, and maybe he only loses another 15 or 18 points by finishing deeper in the lineup. But those, you know, there's a difference between maybe, you know, if, if Joseph cuts a little bit more out of, of the lead at, at gateway. So now it feels like a one race, one and a half race deal. It's still effectively two races. So that was a big deal at, for Polo to come back at Iowa. And you're right. He did finish on the podium last year in Nashville and the year before he went from ninth to seventh, but it could have been better than that because he had a six-spot grid penalty for going over the engine change. That means he was quick. He qualified third and probably would have been on the podium two years ago. He, I think at uh, yeah at, at Gateway, he hadn't been he very collected good. Collected by well, he yeah he started in the back results or got collected by VK. A couple of years ago, and then last year at Worldwide Technology Raceway, started fifth and finished ninth. He won Portland two years ago. Last year, there was a mechanical issue in the car, and he finished 12th. That's what I have in my notes. He started fourth and finished 12th. They found something wrong with the car. And he wasn't bad at Laguna. (laughs) He wasn't bad at Laguna last year. Yeah. Yeah, he won by a lot. 30 seconds? And. This year at uh, the NDGP, where we go in two races, he won by uh, 10, 11, 12 seconds. <laughs> 17 seconds. Oh, 17. Yeah. 17 seconds. So yeah, he's, that's he's, one of the- he's a race winner at three of the five remaining tracks. Uh, the team is going to be outstanding at, at the fourth one, that being Nashville, because Marcus and Marcus Erickson and Scott Dixon have won the two races at Nashville that we've had. So his only really uh, mulligan track, if you will, be Gateway. And, you know, I expect Joseph, by the way, to be good at all those tracks, too. He's been good at the IMS road course. He's won there, but he's not won at the at uh, Nashville. He's not won at Portland. He's not won at Laguna Seca. Doesn't mean he couldn't. Doesn't mean he can. But if he's going to try to make up 80 points, he pretty well has to average a gain of about 20 each race. A little less than that. But he has to average... About 17 or 18 gained every race. We'll address Tyler Wong's Twitter question or X question. Does Joseph Newgarden catch Pelot before the season finale at Laguna Seca to have a chance at winning the championship? Or does Pelot wrap it up before the season finale at Laguna Seca? I think it will be wrapped up. Um, 
They may not celebrate him at Portland. So what I'm saying is I think he's up by 40 plus to where he just has to show up at Laguna. I think I think New Garden will still make a little charge and get it a little bit interesting. But you're 80 points back. I think That's... he could pick up 30, but it, the most you can gain in a race weekend is what uh 49 points. You could sweep yeah. the weekend, and if the driver finishes, I think, 22nd or further back, they still get five points. So 54 for sweeping a weekend, five for just participating. Alex doesn't even have to start a race. If he just shows up and practices, he's going to get five points each race weekend. So, you know, you start he's got doing one them. mulligan. He can finish last in one race. Yep. And, he and feel pretty last good. In, if he finishes 22nd or worse... In two races, that's what it's going to take. Yeah. And it's going to take perfection. It's going to have to take near perfection on Joseph's part to do that. Yeah. I still think there are going to be plenty of things to watch. Um, Oh, I do too. Yeah. We're going to celebrate the excellence of Alex Pillow. We're going to wonder where he's going to be driving, what continent he's going to be driving on, and much more. We'll talk about the uh, finish of the race. A lot of conversation afterwards, whether it should have been red flagged and open up the pits finished the way it did finished uh, under caution we'll get into that and plenty more coming up trackside 93.5 the fan Hi. whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you hi this is joseph newgarden and you're listening to trackside Thank you for staying with us. Trackside 93.5, 107.5. The fan continuing to recap Iowa, the Hy-Vee IndyCar weekend. We'll talk about off-track stuff in the event a, a little bit later on. A weekend off before back to Nashville, downtown. Over the bridge one more time. Maybe the last time uh, with this current layout. We'll get into that a little bit later on. If you need some racing this weekend, we've got road racing at Road America. And because Cup is at Richmond, they're desperate. So I'm returning to NASCAR world. So I've got some studying to do this week. So I'll be on the broadcast. That's an NBC race. I just found that out today. So NBC on Saturday afternoon, I think at uh, 3 o'clock-ish Eastern time. Uh, that may not be exact on that, but but somewhere in that time frame. Saturday afternoon. Uh, NASCAR from Road America, Dave Burns and Dale Jarrett and Jeff Burton will be in the booth. And Matt Yoakum is joining me on pit lane in uh, Road America. So that'll be fun. We've got a practice session and qualifying that'll be on television on late Friday afternoon on USA Network. So road course racing, it's fun. I watched last year's race yesterday. Remember, this is the one where Noah Gregson got mad at Sage Karam and just turned right in the straightaway, going down to turn five and destroyed about 15 race cars. So that's all fine in NASCAR world. So uh, I, I I think I have to look that up, what the penalty was. It wasn't a whole lot, though, if there was anything. And he still continued on in the race. A.J. Allmendinger is going to be in the race. That's interesting. Uh, that's not been confirmed, but that's what I'm hearing. So he's going to skip qualifying for Cup where he is just barely out of the playoffs and start in the back because, as you've heard uh, college racing say before, we like trophies, and A.J. has a great chance at a trophy. 
running at Road America again. So that's coming up this weekend. Hope you can join us. And then we'll go to Nashville. And then the Brickyard coming up the week after that. So don't forget about that. Uh, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway with IndyCar and NASCAR in the same weekend. IMSA coming up in September. IMSA cars. I suppose it's the same thing that you could go to the museum lot on Friday and Saturday and watch uh, some of the GTP and GTD cars and others, Michelin Pilot cars. They're testing on Friday and Saturday. Our buddy James Hinchcliffe, he's let the cat out of the bag. So he just posted about this, so I'm okay saying this. He tested a GT3 car. That's a GTD car. He tested a, a Porsche yesterday. Uh, for the first time, he's been in one of those kind of cars. So that was cool. So Hinch is, I, I think, far from done as a racing driver. He will pick and choose his spots and just had some fun today. Well, All right, let's talk. And Go for ahead. those for those that were anywhere near the Speedway today, we've had a lot of sports cars on track. So uh, you've probably seen various uh, social media clips and, and the like. So uh, that's what's been going on. Um, let's talk into the race. So let me get the, I should pull the box score back up. Was it 10 laps to go on Sunday? Correct. Correct. Okay. And we're thinking, all right, what's going to happen? Because at that point there were five, six, I think five on the lead lap. Yeah, five. So what's the scenario going to be? If it's a normal pit, full open the pits, normal circumstance, then first lap is for lead lap cars. Those one lap down get a lap back and then still have a chance to pit. So that, to me, if that scenario happened, that made it a really difficult decision. If they're five on the lead lap and they can't get it back, then all five pit. But if you're talking, I think it would have been about 13 that were within one lap down, that would have changed things. So they're debating whether they're going to pit or not, but not as much as you would think. And that's because the drivers apparently were told in the driver's meeting and reminded of the abandonment of procedures, which we've explained before in this show. And that kind of stemmed from Iowa in 2018 when a similar circumstance happened and no one knew whether to pit or not. And I think Hinch was leading the race and Wickens might've been second and they split strategies. Hinch was adamant. I, I talked to him about this this past weekend. He said, I was adamant. I am not going to pit. Uh, I want to stay out. And I remember that. And the Wiccans camp was debating it. And they eventually had him pit, thinking they would go back to green. They did not go back to green. So he, they lost a 1-2 out of that situation. So they don't want that to happen. That's why they have the ability to say, we're not going through our normal procedures. We're not opening up the pits because that takes you know, a place like that to do the normal procedures, that might take 10 laps. Certainly takes eight, but I bet it takes 10 or more to do that. So that was the next thing that they decided to do is, no, we're going to make it. Everybody's going to understand. We're not opening up the pits. We'll get the cars a lap down out of the way, which they always do under 20 laps to go on a short track, 15 on others, and we'll go race. The debate came is why not red flag it which would allow you to go through those procedures and let other people take tires. Look, I, I think this is a difficult thing for race control. I mean, you want to, you want to prepare your, your paddock as, as best you can for what the possibilities are at the end of the race without essentially, you know, 
outlining something that you can't adhere to if if maybe there are different circumstances in play. You know, I think to those of us, you know, watching the race, um, regardless of where we were at in person or otherwise, but 10 laps seems like there's plenty of time to do those things. But to your, I mean, if there's 10 laps at Indy, well, that's a whole different story than 10 laps at Texas or 10 laps at Iowa. It's, it's, it's not the same everywhere we go. And it's not the same at road America or even a short, shorter track like Nashville. So there can't be one size fits all. And I think it's, you know, I know Kyle Novak goes through great extremes to, to lay out the scenarios in his own mind and with the help of, of his boss and, and others to make sure he's got, you know, the options in front of him, you know, I I don't, I don't know why, I don't know if red flag came into play. Um, I know a lot of people have asked that question, especially the way that the end of the Indy 500 happened. Uh, but I can't answer that. Kyle's probably the only one that can make that explanation. Marcus Erickson uh, was asking that question. I don't know if he was. was. (laughs) I don't know if he was after the race. In fact, I talked to Marcus and I, I talked to him, chatted before we went on air and then on air and he didn't mention anything. He didn't have a little jab or anything. Um, but Nathan Brown of the Indianapolis star used a quote, uh, after his frustration of the 500 and the quote was, I expect every race, uh, we should go red with a late caution. I hope we're not going to change that. I question, are we doing the red for the show or the sport? We've set a standard. So here's a thought where, where I think why I think the red flag is used it's at least the first idea it's used when you can't get the track cleaned up and restarted in time to finish under green. So that's why you have red flagged in some circumstances because we're not running more than the uh, advertised laps. And otherwise we're still going to be under caution when time, when the, the laps run out. So that's why you red red flag in this case, while they did not have time to go through the normal procedures, they did have time to clean up the track and finish under green. So I think this is fine. Why people are talking about it is because a Penske was in front and the series is owned by Team Penske. That's why the paddock would talk about that. Because when you keep things status quo, it is to the benefit of the guy who's been dominating the race. The only way he doesn't win that race is if everyone gets a chance to pit and he's afraid to give up the track position and somebody uh, and and they decide to stay out and change everyone else changes to stickers or he changes to stickers and has a bad pit stop uh, and everyone else or stays out some, something like that you know and maybe just track position that's the only scenario. Do I think that played into it? I do not. I think I don't, they're I don't looking. Think so. Yeah, I think they're looking at the big picture. It's not a television window. You know, we've wondered how that played into it. I've been told that we, meaning NBC, never ever tells them anything. They want IndyCar to do what they think is best, and we will adjust. I have to believe logically the series, without asking, should know what our window oh, is. Yeah. And they make that decision on their own. But in this case, frankly, we would have been grateful had they red flagged the thing because we had a, if that race had not, you had a yellow, we would have interviewed 21st place. Yeah. 
because we had an hour fill staring at us. Luckily, yeah. it only became a 50 minute fill, which is why I'm wandering through suites acting like I'm looking for Ed Sheeran because we're just out of stuff at that point. Because uh, talking to a guy that finished four laps down isn't a great deal of fun for us or for the person four laps down. So I don't think it's a massive deal. I think it's fine. You finish the race under green. You have options to do that. Does it need to be talked about a little bit? Maybe. But it sounds like they did tell everyone, once we get inside 10 laps, we're going to abandon the procedures and we'll finish the race without opening up the pit. So I'm good with it. Not that it matters what I think. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think you have to have a cutoff at some point. All right, we'll come back and we'll get into some other things, what's coming up in hour number two. And there's still much more to talk about inside and outside of IndyCar on Trackside. This is Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Alex Palou, and you're listening to Truckside. Quick segment here, and uh, hey, I just saw this come across late this afternoon. USAC has announced their 2023 Hall of Fame class, and there are a lot of names that we know, and I will admit my bias here. There's one that is very meaningful to me. Terry Langner is going oh, into the USAC Hall of Fame. He's a good friend of yours, and he's the reason that I have a job today. I think he is probably the number one person that helped convince other people that Kevin should get a chance on television. And I am one of, I'm going to say 20 people that do what I do, where Terry is the most important person in their life. And then the, the production people, there are hundreds that Terry has given their start to, but that's not why he's going into the hall of fame, because as you know, he was, the brainchild of USAC's Thursday and Saturday Night Thunder programs on ESPN and was crucial in ESPN embracing and figuring out how to broadcast motorsports. Well, and for those not young enough to remember, he was able to get auto racing on ESPN when when there were very limited ESPN programming that was U.S. based. I mean, there just wasn't a lot of things. on. It wasn't like we had Sunday Night Football and Monday Night Football and you know, Major League Baseball and go down the list for ESPN properties. This was very much a, a breakthrough for for USAC in particular and auto racing in general. Yep. Terry was a very big deal. And he always jokes that, you know, in the early 80s, when he was a young guy at ESPN, when they started doing motorsport, uh, no one else had any idea what it was. They knew he was from Indiana and asked him if he wanted to do it. And yeah, and and away it went, and he had chances to move on to Sunday night football when ESPN got that, and he said, no, thanks. I like doing motorsport, and they were shocked. Uh, so uh, good on Terry. Congratulations to him. Other names that we know, Bill Marvel. Uh, a lot of our friends know him. Tracy Hines. Bobby East. We just lost Bobby, uh, what, a couple of years or so ago. Just, lost, just and, lost Bill Marvel, too. Yeah, yeah. Um and then many others. So look that up. The Wilkie family is listed and Ted Hallibrand as well. So that ceremony, I believe, I think I saw that's coming up in maybe in September or something like that. So congrats, congrats to Terry and all. Hour number two coming up. More of your tweets at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. We'll go through the box score 
We'll talk television numbers for IndyCar and more all coming up on Trackside. Hi, this... Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This is Will Power, and you're listening to Trackside. Hour number two. Thanks for staying with us. Eddie Garrison is in Indianapolis. I'm Kevin Lee. Kurt Cavan is with us. I believe we are on Tuesdays for the foreseeable future, so... We will see you again next Tuesday night at 7. I always like to mention that before we get to the very end of the show. A lot of things I want to get to in this coming hour, but before we forget, Kurt, let's take a peek back at the box score. And we talked about Joseph Newgarden. We talked about Alex Pillow doing what he needed to do to still maintain control of the championship. What else stands out from the two races at Iowa over the weekend? Well, I think a couple things. I would mention that when I talked at the top of the show about how it seemed like it was sort of the same race on consecutive days, it's the number of drivers that basically had the same race. And I think we had, in addition to Joseph Newgarden, we probably had, if I can count them and remember them off my head, I've written it, but I need to count them. I believe there were at least five drivers who had top 10 finishes in both races And there's another one, if you add Kyle Kirkwood, who finished 7th in one race and 11th, I think, the next day. But Will Power did. He had uh, top 10, top 5 finishes both days. McLaughlin had top 5 finishes both days. Pato Award had top 10s both days. Marcus Erickson had it. Uh, Alex Pillow with with maybe the championship-defining weekend of the season. Uh, with top 10 finishes in both races. I believe that's it. Uh, but Did you say Dixon? Maybe Dixie maybe, finished maybe six. Di- he finished six both, both days. Both days, just barely off the lead lap both days as well. You know, maybe Pato Award is one that stands out. He feels like it was a very different race. He wasn't super happy after race one with a podium just because he was, you know, he knew he didn't have anything for the Penske's. And he was very frustrated after race number two with with things going on uh, i know one stint in particular was really difficult for him as well but you're right it, and that's that's why we said you would probably say from the championship standpoint this is the most important race because it's unlikely it's going to go great in one race and horrible in the other and vice versa and if you crash then that's likely in race one it's likely going to impact race two so one of my you know, one of the reasons why I'm not big fan of double headers is what you mentioned if you crash in race one. And I felt like in watching this race, and maybe this isn't the case, but I felt like as I tried to study it and watch how drivers performed, I just felt like they're a little more conservative in day one because you don't want to make a mistake. You know, you're less likely to kind of push the envelope, or at least it seems that way that that you'd want to make sure that your guys weren't, we're going to work all night to get the car ready for an unknown situation on day two. So, you know, that's kind of the, you know, the risk reward of the weekend is that if you tear something up, you may just be in, in boatload of trouble come Sunday. So having two races back to back really puts your, your risk on Saturday 
in a very controlled manner. And so, again, I don't know if that's the way most of the drivers drive. I'm not inside their heads. But I think if if you had to err on the side of caution, you would do it in race one. So I think they think that way and potentially feel that way. But I don't know if they act that way. Agreed. Meaning, I, I, I think they all understand that, that they need to take even lower risk chances on race one because it can throw away the weekend. But when the opportunity arises, they're doing what they do because they have a different mental approach than the rest of us. Uh, you can't just be cautious and conservative. You can be smart. So so I don't know that that always applies, but I think you you have a chance of being on on that one, but sometimes they forget about that. And no, they, they also they know do. that they're pretty good about repairing things and getting them back, but it's it's never the same. You know, and as an aside, and and one of the ones that had a different race to was Felix Rosenquist. And I think the caution timing helped him a little bit from but from talking to him throughout the weekend that's why I kind of led that way with my my question is I don't think he felt like he had much of a chance for a top seven or eight that car just wasn't quite there uh, nobody had anything for the Penske's and he was struggling compared to the teammates and one of the reasons is because that was the backup car he yeah. had the wing puncture just a little hole in the front of the tub in the nose at Toronto and they're going to get that repaired. You can just repair the portion of the tub, but they haven't had time to do that with the quick turnaround. So he's still in that one. Apparently, it's a car that was last raced by Michaela Lotion in something like 2017. Tub is fine, but he said there are just things that we will do to it, especially when you're talking about an oval. Not to the extent like you need to do for the Indy 500, but it's just not there yet. If we kept using it, we would eventually get there. But we think we'll be able to go back with a weekend off to the original tub. So for him to be able to have a chance to win the race for a little bit, he he, he at least took a look at New Garden and was sure. running second on the restart and then finished fourth. That was one that was a, a little bit different. Um, you know, also, you know, I think we kind of touched on the others. I think Erickson had a, a solid weekend power, you know, two more polls. Hey, let's don't forget about that. Two more polls when you're starting to wonder as he did last year, and as I'm sure he was this year. Am I going to get another one? And that's kind of an asterisk in that uh, scenario. Maybe Mario should ask for a recount, because four of those polls really should only count as two. Yeah, well, You could argue they should count as two, because it's the same qualifying session. So he's, in that case, what? That put him... And he would have 68. 68. He would have just now gotten past him in that circumstance. And when you don't have it right, you don't have it right. Just a miserable weekend for a few different teams and drivers. Yeah, let me let me put some perspective on the power situation with with qualifying uh historically here just a little bit. We all kind of agree that of this younger generation of drivers, those guys under the age of 25, that Colton Hur is the best qualifier. Uh he has now 11 poles in his very short career. If he averages a couple a year, which has been his norm over these five seasons, he'll be age 49 when he gets to 70. 49 if he averages two a year. <laughs> yeah, two doesn't get it done. 
he didn't get it done. That just that no, t- you're going to need a few five pole seasons in there. Yeah, that's what uh, what Power's done, and I think Power even had eight, maybe one year. So it's going to take. I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, anything is possible, but it's going to come close to. We never see that record broken in our in our in our careers, uh, maybe in our lives. <laughs> it is. It was rough for the Foyt cars. Um, it was rough for the Ray Hall and Langan cars. Good for yeah. them that they got the win the weekend before. It got better for Lungard. I think he was a little stronger in race two. And actually, Jack Harvey was decently solid in race one. He said it went away in in the final stint. We've kind of been hearing that. There have just been some weird things happening in, in one particular stint at different times in all types of courses throughout the season. Uh, it wasn't. Good for the Ed Carpenter racing cars. I've seen commentary on Twitter, and I've had people say, when is Ed Carpenter going to to stop racing? This isn't an Ed Carpenter thing. Ed is matching his teammates. Ed still knows what he's doing, so I, I just feel like somebody needs to say something there because he's still uh, right there with Ryan hunter Ray and with Renus VK, who you know a year ago was being talked about with teams like Anassi uh, and, and other opportunities. So... That's what Ryan Hunter Ray was brought in there to do, and he's hopefully going to lead them in a direction that they can't fix it right now. It's going to take an offseason to get them back where they want to go. For a little while, it was looking good. Ed had some one-lap pace and qualified fourth, I think it was, for race two and stayed up there for a little while, but kind of like when Connor was with him, he could qualify well but just couldn't manage to make it work for a long period of time. I thought the Hunkos cars... Both had really strong weekends, um, but Lucas was good. Lucas was another one. He said, I have no idea what happened on the last stint in race number one when he dropped from you know 7th, 8th, ninth down to 12th. But then in race two, he finished 8th, so he continues to be good on on those short ovals. Anyone else I'm mentioning that needs a uh, – Grosjean was okay. He was okay both days. Herta had the major pit stop issue. That kept him from a top 10 or whatever. He was already falling back a little bit, but um, lost 43 seconds in the pits and then had a decent day, too, coming home in seventh. Yeah, I can't I can't really think of anybody else. You know, like I said, kind of the same what you had on Saturday is what you had on Sunday. And, you know, both races were held at this kind of the same time of the day, um, mm-hmm. you know, with the same basic weather. Uh, I thought, you know, when we watched qualifying, you know, got soaked on Saturday morning that that um, that maybe we would have two different, you know, races that maybe Saturday, if that rain, maybe not the rain itself stayed stayed around, but maybe you just had a cooler day on Saturday. But by the afternoon, it was just as hot as as it was going to be on Sunday. So you kind of had the same race both days in terms of weather. And, you know, not like the wind picked up or, you know, anything. There wasn't really any, you know, you kind of picked up the needle in the song and and dropped it right back into the next song. So uh, kind of an old school reference there. But, um, you know, it was the same, same pretty much for everybody with a couple exceptions. Rosenquist being one and boy, he was sure bummed to finish fourth uh, in the second race, but thought he did himself proud. The team you know, looks better. It still is amazing that 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 Arrow McLaren hasn't won a race this season with that talented lineup. Uh, 
you know, and what we've seen from McLaren and Formula One, Lando Norris, the last two races has had two of his best races of his career in second place, both races. So, you know, they've they've got uh, some spirit going on that side of the of the program. But this one is yet to find victory lane. And Oscar Piastri has been strong, too. So Alex Pillow should probably go ahead and cross off that if that's one of his incentives to go to McLaren, thinking he's going to move to Formula One next year, the year after. Now, he's going to have to wait. You know, it's always year to year. It can change very quickly, but uh, prospects are high. We'll get to that, what the options will be there for that. But you mentioned two races that are basically the same. I think we'd all love to see a Saturday night Iowa race. We'd like to see a Saturday night and a Sunday, but there are some reasons why that makes that difficult to happen. One, to do a true night race, as we've talked about many times, in the central time zone in the summer is going to need, it's not dark there until 9.30, 10 o'clock Eastern time, yep. Eastern time. So, you know, an hour earlier than that local so that makes it difficult. Even if you could get a TV partner to put you on at night at 8 o'clock Eastern, you must be off the air, by the way, by 11 o'clock Eastern time. So you could green flag it as late as 9 o'clock or so and get that done, and you'd be dark by the time you finished. Part two, though, is you are highly unlikely to get on network television. Maybe you could. Um and then there might be local factors that they decide yeah, people don't want to stay out that late, especially when it's 45 minutes from Des Moines. But it's probably more. It's just simpler to get network time. And that's what they have. They have network time on Saturday and Sunday afternoon. And the format that they've chosen with concerts before and after doesn't work as well to start the concert at. 11 p.m., although I know some concerts start at 11 p.m., but those are some of the factors involved in that. And that can lead us to the ratings, which were really, really good. And you and, and I was a little bit concerned about the Sunday because we're head-to-head -head with NASCAR. We're head-to-head -head with Cup Race. Now, we had the advantage of being on NBC, and they were on cable on USA, but the Cup Race actually did really well. It was the highest-rated NBC cable race in something like five years, the highest rated cup cable race in a couple of years. That includes FS1. So it was good. It was 2.8 million or something like that. And then IndyCar was 1.2 something million on Saturday and just under 1.1 on Sunday, slightly higher than the Sunday morning Formula One race. So I think that's excellent. Um, I understand that you had the British Open lead in. But that's what it's all about. You either got to have a lead-in or no head-to-head -head competition, and preferably both, and you had one of the two. And that helped get you back, what, 30-some percent higher than last year. I feared with the British Open, you know, it was it was an insignificant finish. I mean, we just had True. to make sure. Yeah. We had to make sure Harmon didn't just completely fall apart. And after, what, whole five he he really steadied the ship and was so strong down the backside and and nobody challenged him. I thought you know the fact that a guy's up six strokes would be a problem, um, you know, start to turn that off. But it is the British Open. You want to see the Claret Jug awarded and that kind of thing. And they had a long post race, if you will, or a long post tournament. Uh, they end up having about twenty five minutes. So I f I feared that uh, 
We probably lost quite a few. We probably we lost quite a early. few of those. Yeah. Yeah. We even went on earlier than planned because it was like, yeah, they're out of gas. And then I want to say, well, wait a minute. You can't do more than 25 minutes. We just did 50 minutes. <laughs> Come yeah, on. Yeah. 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 You're you not more talking people to the- on your broadcast than we do too. I bet. Not talking to the high V sweet guy, but uh, yeah, it's funny that that uh, yeah that that becomes part of the show. But um, by the way, I'd stopped watching you. I tuned, uh, started watching uh, my computer screen and trying to type stories. So I had to work, so I didn't get to see all forty minutes of your of your uh, expert commentary. I think it was about forty seven minutes. <laughs> all the better. Not not that anyone was counting. So just another ratings aside that brings up something that gets still brought up, and it's partly my fault because 12 years ago, you know, I started politicking a little bit for a weeknight race, thinking maybe something around baseball's all-star game. And that was when there was nothing going on the day before and after baseball's all-star game. That's changed a little bit these days. And then you started talking to promoters. And so I backed off that for many, many years. Here's more reasons why. Because I've seen it mentioned on social media recently. Hey, IndyCar should think about doing something like Thursday Night Thunder with SRX is doing. Well, here's why it's difficult. You know, you're not going to get the crowd that you get on a weekend. So that makes it tough to get money from the promoter um, because it's going to be tough. There are a few markets, you know, we've talked about it needs to be a metro market, needs to be Richmond or somewhere close to a big city. So maybe it can work. But then it needs to get a television audience. ESPN's a pretty prominent channel. And there are some pretty significant racing stars in this SRX series every week. Current cup drivers, legends, so forth. Good production, I think. 395K the first week, 360-something in week number two. So... That's not enough to be able to take the hit that you would likely take at the box office. And that's on ESPN. It's going to be very, very difficult. It, now, if you could get NBC to give up a Thursday night, but they're not going to do that. I, I don't know what a normal show on Thursday night rates, but it's probably two or three million, right? One would think. Yeah. And best case scenario, unfortunately, we're not getting that. NASCAR's not getting that on a Thursday night. Maybe they are. Maybe. I think um, it would have they, to be, you know, and I'm trying to, I can't remember the, you know, the scenario where they they had a special race, maybe Chicago and then the rain delay they just had. But I'm thinking a couple years ago, they had an event. You may remember what it was. Well, but, they've had Daytona 500s on Monday nights before. And that that's a Daytona 500. It's got to be something big well, like that. But they did some COVID races that's what it was uh, on weeknights and they did not rate quite as well as we hoped so di- that i think kind of ended that conversation yeah i think that's what i was thinking of is in the covid year that happened the difference between the daytona 500 running on a monday night and you know the, most of the country is inside at that point still inside that's right it's you dark know, at six o'clock in the east yeah yeah you're sitting in front of your television because you know, you got four hours till you're going to go to bed. So you got you got to have something and you're tired of watching uh, the local programming. So uh, I think uh, it it sounds good in theory. It's a difficult sell. I mean, I've been looking at like ESPN.com over the past, you know, the past, you know, the all-star break period when this dead period in the sports calendar, there's nothing to read. 
So, you know, to your point, you'd think it, people would want to watch something, but it's hard in the summer. You really want to know, too, Slam Ball got 212,000 ESPN on Friday night. That's pretty that cool. Be a major hit. <laughs> it, <laughs> it was on at the restaurant we were in, so we we did see a little bit of Slam Ball on, uh, on Friday night as well. Uh, I found this interesting, a post from Adam Stern from Sports Business Journal that their publisher, uh, who spoke at a recent dinner with sports business executives, said, I was surprised to hear so much sentiment that F1 has peaked in the U.S. And that's kind of in the conversation, you know, and, and I get it that the crowd I run with is more IndyCar biased. And we've talked about that on this show, that while we all love motorsport and I watch Formula One and I'm happy that it's doing well, there's a bit of, if nothing else, just jealousy over why does everybody love them so much of the common fans at this point? Our product is better and yada, yada, yada. But that's been a common refrain is, eh, it's a fad and it, it will go away. And people kind of see that. And I mentioned that the, the ratings were down 15 or 20 percent for this particular event year to year uh, this past weekend. It's still going great. And I don't think that the three Formula One races are going to flop anytime soon. But they're going to be they're going to peak, and then it's a matter of can they make that work with how expensive that is. Formula One basically promoting Miami and co-promoting uh, what they're doing in Vegas and so forth. And I'm still hoping out of all of this that this, in the long run, benefits IndyCar. You know, we talk about the high tide raising all boats. I think there's still a chance it plays in that factor because people have been exposed to motorsports, starting to like motorsports. But maybe they're getting to a point where they're tired of seeing the same guy win every week and they don't want to know who wins the race coming in. And they decide, I want to go to one of these races in America and it costs what? Yeah. Oh, I can't do that. Or they are a decision maker at a company and would like to entertain guests at one of these events and it would cost what? So I'm hoping that we all are able to get in touch with these people whether it be from a fan standpoint and attending and find out you can see a similar type of racing with more access, more action, um, maybe not the pomp and circumstance. And I'm not trying to rip on Formula One at all because there is something there. The, the extravagance is is something, but IndyCar is something too. And it's a much different price point and it's a much different corporate price point as well. So I'm hoping that that eventually the right people get to them and say, hey, Here's what you can do. Yeah, and that's, I think it's it's really helpful that the casual fan has learned things like sector times, like tire mm-hmm. choice, like mm-hmm. you know pit stop being important, like you know box uh, box. Oh, well, <laughs> that annoys overcut, our fans too. <laughs> overcut and undercuts. I mean, yeah. those are nuances of the sport. And bear me, bear with me on this. Those are nuances of the sport that are always a, a tough introductory element you know it's tough to launch into the sport when when you're saying somebody's undercutting and somebody's overcutting if you watch a formula one race that's what happens every week somebody tries to undercut somebody tries to overcut and so the more you watch those kind of things you understand what sectors mean and we talk about them in 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 maybe in less terms but or less often but those kind of nuances to motor racing are going to be helpful when that tide turns and and people are less interested in watching formula one um 
one other thing coming up. Uh, I mentioned uh, the Brickyard coming up in a little while. So you're going to have two Formula One drivers there in the NASCAR race. Jensen Button and Kamui Kobayashi. Our broadcast team is excited that Shane Van Gisbergen is returning. So another crack at that name. And then uh, another driver from his series from Australian Supercars, Brody Kostecki, who yep. apparently is really, really good as well, is going to be in that. And and I'm sure there'll be other names that'll be added in. But th- those are some interesting international names that'll be here on the uh, road course weekend. And it is sounding like uh, it's got a decent chance of being the last road course weekend. There is a Goodyear test coming up uh, on the Oval at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Nothing is confirmed, but they're at least going to be prepared for that. And who knows, the decision may already have been made. I'm not privy to that, but I suspect that's where it's headed. And we'll talk about how that impacts IndyCar and what options are out there and the scuttlebutt going on and the schedule and silly season and more coming up. Trackside 93.5, The Fan. Hi, this is Scott. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. And you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Thanks for staying with us, Trackside. Kurt Cabin, Kevin Lee, Eddie Garrison in our studios. This, that, and the other I want to get to. I watched the Today Show uh, in the morning and was pleasantly surprised to see Hy-Vee Love on the Today Show today. Did nice. you hear about this? I didn't. I didn't. I'm, so not a, it, it I'm, the- a, I'm usually at work by this point. I'm surprised that there wasn't more social media made of that. I've not seen a lot made there either, because normally we're pretty good about celebrating ourselves when we get some mainstream attention. But you, you probably heard about David Letterman going into a high V and then they uh, filmed a clip and either the team or high V distributed it on social media. And that got the attention of the Today Show producers or possibly really smart um promotions and PR people at either Hy-Vee or IndyCar got it into the hands of the NBC people. And in their little entertainment segment today, I'm going to say they showed 30, 40 seconds, if not more, of Dave having fun, kind of bits like he used to do on his show at Hy-Vee. And then the host at the end did say Letterman was in Iowa because he is co-owner of an IndyCar team and they raced at Iowa Speedway. So, boom. There was nothing inaccurate. You're always expecting him to say, David Letterman owns a Formula One team. David Letterman owns a NASCAR team. Because unfortunately, that's what some people think when they hear racing. So good stuff, good value. Let's speak to the events. I was going to say that during, in the last hour of the British Open, there were reminders that IndyCar at Iowa Speedway was coming up after after the golf tournament. And uh, I thought it was... Interesting with uh, David Letterman working at a grocery store since that's where his roots truly are uh, at a grocery store here in Indianapolis. For those that don't Improbable. know that, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he likes he likes doing bits like that. Uh, what'd you think of the event? 
Well, I think it's a great event. I mean, it it's always been a good event in Iowa. It's always been a place I've enjoyed watching racing. In fact, I've told just told my kids uh, leading up to the event that this is this is maybe the one place that they should get to because it's such a great visual. And I enjoyed it this year, like every other year. Uh, I thought, you know, certainly the concert. I don't know how the concerts can continue to go to the level that they're at. I don't know how you had edge. You know, you're talking about four heavyweights in that. that I don't see how that you just can't continue. <laughs> I mean, I know you have a I lot of big names out there. I don't know there. how you make money. I don't know how you make money off of that. You make money off of that because someone else is willing because it works, because Hy-Vee is willing to help fund it. But, you know, just adding up the ticket prices, the math is hard to work, but there are different ways to make the numbers work. And Hy-Vee has really kind of, they're doing the Target model, where Target, yeah. would, Target would use every vendor that wants better shelf space at Target to help pay for the racing program and I suspect that's what Hy-Vee is doing. That's why you're seeing Gatorade on the car and Pepsi and Vivid Clear and everything else. Not only on the cars, but commercials in the broadcast, signage uh, at the racetrack and everything else. So I spent a lot of time with the people involved and they all seem quite happy. So I think this has a future. And I know you could say, well, the grandstands aren't full. And they're not full, one, because it's it's pretty warm there, so people duck in and out. But I feel pretty confident in saying there are more people there than if you filled every seat in the grandstands the way it ran five years ago. Those suites, I've got the number somewhere, but there's six or 7,000 people in the suites. I was told how many are in each of the 112 that there are, and it's a nice number. Uh, so I, I feel pretty confident if you put all those people in the grandstands, then you're talking sold out. And here's the better part. You don't really want them as much in the grandstands because people have paid a lot more for those sweet tickets. Yeah. So it's like a four for one. You know, you, you're monetizing, you're selling four, five, six times, maybe more than that, what it costs for that particular seat. It's not a perfect scenario. I know people that just want to see the racing would prefer not to pay extra for the concerts. But as I've said before, they tried it the old way. It didn't financially work, and the race died. So this was the way it was resurrected. And I still think if you search, it annoyed people last year when the same seats they had doubled in price. So search around a little bit, because I think if you don't care about the concerts, you can go sit and turn two, you know, as far away as possible from the stage, and you can find a much more reasonably priced ticket. The, the tickets around the start-finish line were the best viewing spots for listening and hearing to the concerts. So that's why those are a little more pricey. But take a look at it. Carrie Underwood, you know, I'm not a huge fan of any of the acts that are there, but they can entertain. Yeah, that's you know, that's you, just... You were happy you were there. And I, I saw a little bit of all four of them, and they were all awesome. Yeah, that was a strong lineup. I just meant that the level of, of superstars that they've had yeah. may be difficult to maintain over two or three or four more years, but... It's like, you know, like Indianapolis. How do you go from the Rolling Stones as they had on July 4th one year? Hard to hard to top that. So uh, and maybe there's a scenario where it's, you know, a true warm up act at yeah. some point and then a headliner and you can save a little bit of money on expenses. You may get a little bit of a discount on people, too. You know, a Carrie Underwood might say, all right, this is my rate for an 8 p.m. show, but you let me play at 11 a.m. and I can either go play a gig somewhere else 
or have the night off and just go to Chicago? Yeah, I'll do that. And I'll do half my normal rate. I don't know. Um, all right. A couple of silly seats. Let's do schedule stuff first. Um, we've talked about it the last couple of weeks. I've seen other reports on this and nothing I heard this weekend um, refutes the idea. I do not know it's happening, but I think we are headed towards Nashville as the season finale using some form of Broadway in 2024. And I can't report that. I don't know that with 100% certainty. I don't know that a contract has been signed. I doubt it. But no one is telling me that is bad information at this point. The I other- think Laguna Seca might move to the spring. So I'm still hearing that that's going to happen, which is awesome. I haven't looked up the weather, but I think I've heard that before, and I think it's fine. And let's give it a go. Uh, but I think it's it's pretty temperate there. It's pretty consistent throughout the year. So that would solve another issue. It could shorten that gap that you have early in the season. I don't know that Milwaukee is done, but again, I'm hearing that it's likely. Uh, Marshall Pruitt at Racer today, did I do a cut and paste on this? It was a story about, you know, they want to get more short tracks uh, in there, and it kind of sounds like that's possibly. And as I've said before, if you can find another race, I don't think any of us have any problem with the second road course race at Indy going away. And that may, decision may be made for you because the Brickyard may be going back to the Oval. So Milwaukee could go in with the State Fair in August in that date. I heard Marcus, Marcus, uh, Scott McLaughlin say, hey, it's, you know, I'd love to have more short track races. And by the way, I hear that there's a really good chance of that. Uh, he works for the for the boss man. So I, I think his intel is probably pretty good. And I think the racer story also mentioned that there's a possibility of Gateway becoming a doubleheader, Worldwide Technology Raceway. And he had a quote from Bud Denker. I think the idea of a night race one day and a day race the next provides some diversity is an idea to develop. We haven't crossed that bridge for 24, but we would never rule it out. So that to me means that they're thinking about that and maybe it's already done. And as long as you're okay with the Saturday night being on USA, then that works. You yeah. can get on USA on Saturday night. I think the high V thing, that's how high V is willing to do this. It's got to be network television. Agreed. And we're not huge fans of double headers. But if it makes it work for the promoter more, then all good. And those are fun races, and it gives people more of a reason to go camp and spend the weekend somewhere. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Uh, driver front. I don't know that I know anything definitively other than I'm still hearing more and more chatter about Polo and Formula One. So not only is AlphaTauri where Daniel Ricardo currently is, who might move up to Red Bull, um, Yuki Sonoda is the other driver. They're no longer going to be a Honda team, so they're going to be able to decide on Yuki Sonoda's merits, not because they feel they need to do it for Honda. So there could be two seats open there. So they could still bring in their junior, Liam Lawson. Would they want to have two rookie drivers? Maybe, maybe not. Depends on how highly they think of Polo. And there's some thought that, unfortunately, the only American, Logan Sargent, um, isn't definite. So Williams might be an option there. You might say... Why would he take Williams? And he said, I'm not going to take any seat. I'm not going to ask Alex because he's not going to answer it other than I'm going to be particular. But I I believe this, and I think others do too. He's from Europe. Formula One was his dream. He can probably come back. I believe he's taking any seat that's offered. 
I think you're so too. Say that you're not taking any seat, but I think any seat that is offered because you're looking, you're looking at what George Russell did. He was in a Williams. Now he's, now in, he's in a Mercedes. Yeah, or now a Mercedes. Yeah, Mercedes. So all you've got to do is crush your teammates and occasionally get in the mix. And people will will say, whoa, and you'll move up the ladder and maybe you move up the ladder very quickly. So and then what happens next is anybody's guess. You know, I still I still think Ramon Grosjean is on the way out, probably as a Lamborghini factory driver. I don't see another path from him. I think Erickson is headed to Ganassi. And by the way, by the time we get to Nashville, he could have signed with Ganassi. Technically, he can't sign until August 1st. What's Rosenquist do? Just lots of balls in the air. Where's Malukas going to end up? Is he going to end up with Ganassi, uh, bringing some budget along with him? Or is he going to be in the fourth Andretti car? Or is that an ILOD situation? Um, and there will be drivers. Uh, it's just a, we have short time left. There are still drivers that we're not thinking about that are going to get in play, too. We have an off weekend. We'll be able to talk more about that coming next week coming up we'll see what we missed we'll get into some more of your twitter questions and comments it's trackside 93.5 the fan hi this is scott dixon whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you and you're listening to trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 the fan final segment what we missed and and still some time to chat in this segment um should mention the indy next race at iowa that was on let's see that was saturday night it was supposed to be saturday morning at 10 o'clock local time but that's when the rain came uh it was supposed to be after indycar qualifying the rain came right as qualifying was started so it got pushed back to the end of the day after the concerts felt bad for the teams because they were set to be done by noon. Most are based in Indianapolis. They could be packed up and back home by 8 o'clock or so, and I'm sure they all got home at 3 in the morning or something like that. But it was worth the wait. It was a really entertaining race. Jacob Abel won his first pole. Christian Rasmussen passed him fairly quickly and built a big gap, something like 10 seconds. There was a caution fairly late in the race, packed him back up. It still looked like Rasmussen was in control up by a couple of seconds. And in the last four laps or so, Jacob Abel really cut into it. And if he would have had one more lap, he might have won. He certainly would have gotten to him, and it was still just over a tenth of a second. So great race, championship, big swing. So Nolan Siegel had that big lead. We'd been talking about how he kind of thought that Rasmussen might still have the advantage with more experience on ovals. Same with Hunter McElray. Siegel was really good on this oval. He qualified near the front, ran second and third much of the race, but he and Hunter McElray made contact fairly late, and there was damage to Siegel's car, so he finished at the back, I think 15th out of 16th. So from, I think it was 16 up, Siegel was. Now Rasmussen is up by 22, so a real swing. Uh, If you didn't watch the Peacock broadcast, uh, I mentioned that we're going to have some New drivers in Indy next by the time we get to Nashville. Yuvan Sundamworthy is moving up from USF 2000. And also Francesco Pizzi is moving up from USF 2000. Pizzi is still going to continue 
uh, running USF 2000. So, for example, Nashville, Indianapolis don't have a conflict. Um, and it's not every race. They're kind of splitting it up a little bit. Abel will run three cars. And Colin Comiskey is going to be back for at least a couple of races. So there's your Indy Next situation. They are also with IndyCar coming up in Nashville. Uh, Adam Stern tweeted this today, and I don't know that I've mentioned this yet, but probably should have because I've heard people kind of asking about, hey, what is this deal with Gainbridge and Group 1001 uh, sponsoring a NASCAR? Is this because there are always reports and rumors of Michael Andretti wanting to get into NASCAR because, hey, it's a motorsport. He needs to be involved because they're involved in all of them. And this, from what I understand, is not that. It is not an Andretti partnership. It is a GameBridge sponsorship or group that 1001, but I think it probably is fair to say that this is testing the waters a little bit and it could lead to something down the road because Dan Towers of GameBridge and group 1001 is now an Andretti Autosport partner. So we shall see what comes of that. Twitter questions we have next on the docket from... Those that have already come in from earlier today, I took a couple of screenshots. This is from, actually a couple of days ago, from at St. Angelo. You guys mentioned adding driving experience such as Nick DeVries to an Andretti entry into F1. Rather than DeVries, I think Marcus Erickson would be a better choice. Might F1 be an incentive for Erickson to go to Andretti? Good question, and I have never asked Marcus this, and, and I should because I believe he would be honest. I believe his answer would be, I'm not super interested in going back there and joining a brand new operation. Um, and I don't know why, but he would be considered too old for Formula One, uh, even though we're seeing Fernando Alonso do it at his age. So I, I guess you can never rule that out. It, it's interesting, and maybe he would like some closure there. So I'll ask him that the next time I see him. And if I brought up, brought up Nick DeVries, I wasn't necessarily speaking about him specifically. It was just a name that was out there. But that type, someone with F1 experience, they'd probably like someone with more than a half a season of F1 experience. And speaking of former F1 drivers, uh, I read that one, one of the names that I wondered, not had any reporting on, but just wondered because I heard his name thrown out there last year was Nicholas Latifi. Canadian who did some time in Formula One and I think has a significant amount of backing. I wondered, hey, might that be someone that would be interested? Well, Latifi put that to rest, not really answering IndyCar questions specifically, but he just said, people always want to know, am I going to try to get back into motorsport, do another series, whatever? And he said, nope, not for now. I'm going to business school. So I think you can cross off Nicholas Latifi at this juncture. Lynn, formerly the Spurs fan, tweeted, Amazing weekend by Joseph Newgarden by sweeping the Iowa races. Can we call Joseph Mr. Iowa like Dixon is Mr. Mid-Ohio? Um, you could. You can call him the King of Corn. What did someone else, someone posted King Colonel? I thought that was a good one as well that we should maybe consider too. But he, he's definitely got something going on there. What's come in tonight from the Twitter inbox? Andrew Rollinson says... Uh, probably, I just refreshed on me again, probably an unpopular opinion. Um, I'm just not excited by the racing in Iowa. Four or five cars in the lead lap is just weird. Yeah, I hear you. I'd, I'd like to see more in the lead lap as well, but that's what happens with short oval racing 
when some get it right and some get it wrong, and it doesn't take much to get it wrong from that standpoint. Big Glenn Richardson says, been hearing rumors of Milwaukee Mile returning to IndyCar. I think he might have wrote that before we talked about it. He did. He did. Will it go back to its original date just after the 500 or Indy Road Course number two date? I'd say closer to Indy Road Course number two date. Maybe not that date. There are Olympic conflicts next year. But uh, Roger Penske's events and Detroit is going to be after the 500. Hey, we've used up all of our time. We'll try again next Tuesday night. 7 o'clock for Kurt and Eddie. I'm Kevin. Thanks for joining us. Trackside 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Podcast up in just a little bit.